0: the views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management
1: welcome to in the psychologist's chair with host dr raymond hamden Our program will feature an application update in the psychology of everyday life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Raymond Hamden.
2: I'm Dr. Raymond Hamden, and you are in the psychologist chair. Today's topic is corporate health fitness. Health promotion is an investment in human capital and optimal physical and psychological health. Employees perform up to 40% better when there are less health risks. Today's guests are people who are the pioneers in the form that we call corporate health fitness. They come from all different parts of the world. With us is Martin Foster, who's from the United Kingdom. He graduated in 1988 from Nottingham University, earning a Bachelor of Science degree in sports science. We also have Rohe Hamlani, who is an ex-corporate marketeer now nutritionist and partner in the company that they both call Fitness and Food. She has her academic background from Oxford. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the studio, and welcome to being in the psychologist's chair. Thanks, Raymond. Thank you. Both of you are in the same chair, but we're going to make room for everyone here. We'd like to first define corporate health fitness.
3: Okay. Um, well, it's actually started um, uh, many, many years ago, uh, specifically in North America, is where it originated, um, to address the the issue of rising healthcare costs. And um, as we have grown to love um, processed food and more sedentary lifestyles, it was realized that. It was taking a toll on general population health, but uh, also more importantly on employee health um, from a company standpoint. And so, really, it was set up uh, to address that growing need, to because people spent up to you know fifty percent of their waking hours working. Really, to address the issue of how to make employees more healthy, um, in an effort to reduce healthcare costs, but also just to make sure that in general life they would be able to perform better and as a result perform better at work as well.
2: So bringing in the physical the psychological and the what else factor Martin you're the fitness person here where do you fall under this? Well it's it's not as a case of of just purely a fitness or nutrition
4: it's really it's it's quite a three-dimensional sort of project really if you're looking at uh, Europe or North America or Australia Um, They've been doing it for quite a while. So what we're trying to do is introduce the concept of of bringing it over here. So it's not just a case of making people more productive at work, which is obviously very important, but it's just improving people's lifestyle too. So any little benefits we can do, either physically, nutritionally, or as far as lifestyle is concerned. So it's really the entire package is what we're trying to do.
2: So you look at people holistically with these companies. That's what we're trying to do. Earlier, I took the bold effort of calling you the pioneers. And you actually are in the Middle East. This is a concept that no one else has actually done here with the holistic approach that you're doing it. Not overly sure about that. I mean, we've
4: we've certainly, the companies we've approached, they've not heard anything about this sort of um, project so far. Um, I can't honestly say if we... The 100% pioneers, but we certainly, as far as the people we've spoken to, we seem to be the only people that are doing it.
2: In the research that I've done, I found nobody else doing what you're doing. There are those who do fitness. There are those who do nutrition. There are those who are involved in health psychology. What you're doing, though, with your organization, F&F Fitness and Food, is bringing all of this together under that one umbrella. Well,
4: again, sorry, Ru, um, that's, that's very encouraging if that's the case. And um, obviously,
2: we just have to make sure that we... Uh, we do this best we can, really. Well, obviously, you are. You're using International Benchmark.
3: Correct. Yes, we are. And uh, we're trying to, as you said, bring a holistic view to health um, in, in terms of corporate wellness, but also in employees' lives after work. Um, so, yes, from, from that perspective, I think you're right. We, so far, are probably the only ones who are trying to include topics such as stress management, stress um, management and, uh, you know, posture and the importance of being able to, to be physically fit and to be uh, nutritionally sound both at work and outside of work. So we're trying to make sure that this emanates through people's lifestyles, as, as Martin mentioned, so not just while they're physically present at work, but also take that concept away with them at home to their families.
2: Although you're based in Dubai, you're actually working regionally. Martin, you're from the UK, and Ruhi, you're from Pakistan. You're working in a country that has 140 different nationalities and thousands of different companies. How are you being received on an individual level as well as a corporate level? I think individually it's a little sort of strange at first
4: because there are so many sort of different nationalities. The good thing was the two of us working together. We we can cover quite a wide area, really, so that's one of the really good things. Um, particularly as far as nutrition is concerned, because when you're dealing with so many diverse uh people, uh, nutrition is such a successful part of what we do, and Ruhi can actually cover such a wide area. So initially, when we go in it's sort of um a lot of people are skeptical, not too sure what to do, but once we actually sit down, have a chat with them, usually two or three times, so to prove that we can actually change things without it being too radical. Um, then they start to change their ideas, which is quite good. But initially it's a little bit strange for some people.
2: Do you find cultural differences in the way people work out using certain muscle areas that are difficult for them because of their cultural background?
4: Not necessarily the cultural background. It's just the case of the fact that certain areas have been doing it a little bit longer so they're a little bit more experience with it. All we have to do is just make sure that we bring
2: everybody up to speed, really. Not everybody likes to do leg workout. Some people are happier to do that, some people aren't. Is that a cultural thing or is it always individual? What's your experience with that? I think it's a psychologist thing actually around And yeah. everybody has a psychology about it. Now I'm just talking about you there, right? <laughs> 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 okay, we'll see you next week in the psychologist <laughs> chair. And I'll be in the chair myself. Rohe, what about nutrition? Martin has brought up a significant issue about different kinds of food types. And you have people who are vegetarian, people who are not. How does that fit into your role as a consultant?
3: Um, I think for us, it's it's been quite interesting, uh, as Martin pointed out, to look at the different cultures and the way that they've become used to eating. Um, and, and one very important point that we've noticed is with the, the rising incidences of such issues um, as diabetes and um, high blood pressure, uh, you know, there's always a, a point to be made about how it runs in the family and it's a genetic issue, and so people almost tend to use that as an excuse. But what we've found, and and the research proves it, is that really only 10% is genetically preordained. The rest of it is up to lifestyle. And so from a nutritional point of view, when people are saying things like, well, I eat this way and um, that's what I've been grown up to, you know, and, and that's how I've grown up, that's how their parents have grown up. It may not necessarily be the best way for them, given the lifestyle today. Um, so what we're trying to do is go in and say, we're not asking you to change the way that you were eating, just modify it slightly so that it does get tailored to current lifestyle. So you know their, their parents might have been doing a little bit more hard manual labor, whereas now with the sedentary lifestyles that we have, um, and office hours being the way that they are sitting behind a computer desk etc we just want them to modify their cultural nutritional choices so that they become healthier and we can do that um, as Martin mentioned I you know can can look at different cuisines and modify them to suit people's palates and not necessarily depriving them of the kinds of foods that they ate but just making slight changes that can have huge impact to the way that they eat. What work. is the
2: objective of being a nutritionist when you work with folks, individually or corporate wives as groups?
3: It's really to point out the, the best possible ways that they can be eating, not just to make them look better, because that tends to be the ultimate objective of people when they, when they maybe lose their way um, in terms of health and weight, um, but it's, it's to make them feel better because food has such a huge impact on mood, uh, which I'm sure you're well aware of. So it's really to, to find that, that brilliant balance of eating clean and feeling great and, and therefore, from a corporate perspective, being your most productive.
2: When you look at food and exercise, a lot of this, of course, is quite important. What is the balance these days? As far as the newest research, how much of it is intake of food? How much of it is exercise? Probably about seventy thirty, I'd say, uh, regarding nutrition. Um, Which part is seventy? Nutrition. Nutrition is as seventy percent, and actual some people, workout is thirty. yeah, for Some people go as high as eighty, but let's just sort
4: of you know not doing myself out of a job here. But let's just say it's about seventy percent. So it's quite high. Well, you have to have both. You do have to have both, but you. <laughs> I've had clients that can go into the gym five, six days a week, having the best workouts in the world, but if they're not following the correct eating, only a certain amount of things are going to happen. Particularly, um, as Ruhi was just saying, most people, that they will start a workout uh, regime because they want to lose weight or look good in clothes or a bikini, whatever. That sort of thing is pretty much just down to what you eat. You can really, really go in the gym for so many hours a day, and yeah, you'll get fitter, you'll get stronger to, to a degree, but actually changing your body shape, actually changing um, your, your, your overall health is pretty much down to what you eat.
2: It's amazing that when you walk into the gym, you see a lot of these young guys who have six packs, where us old guys have an entire barrel. <laughs> what are you bragging about here, guys? A barrel has a lot more. <laughs> Underneath there, there's a six-pack somewhere, I'm sure. There's a lot, lot of work into the barrel there, Ray, I think. <laughs> but what about, what about the diet? What if you're at a certain point and you're saying, I enjoy food, I don't want to change the way that I eat, but then you're saying that, from what I'm understanding, it's not really as much as changing all the foods. What you're saying, Rohi, is that you're looking for the diet that they like and helping them modify it, to not lose the taste of food that they like. Is well, that, that a correct assumption of what you said? Sorry, diet's a bad word, I think, really, I isn't think, it? I it's it's a really, really bad word. Agree. So what word would be a better word? Just then? The eating
4: regime, eating healthily. That's all we we're trying to do is to mm-hmm. convince, trying to tell people how to eat properly, healthily.
2: So let's get rid of the word diet now, and yeah. the new term is? Eating regime? Healthy eating. Really. Healthy eating. That's all we're trying to do with people. And if, and if you do that, things will happen. It has so to. diet is associated with what that would be negative? Calorie restrictions. And that's not what you're doing then? No, no we're not trying to do that. Unless, of course, you're eating huge amounts of calories. Then we're just trying to bring the amount of
4: calories down to the, one the amount of calories that you need to use.
2: So it's not, what you, uh, it's not how much you eat, it's what you eat?
3: Well, it is a matter of um, how much you eat because if you, can, you can pile on the best food and if you're not, if you're expanding less energy than you're consuming, then you're going to put on weight and that gets progressively more acute as you get older.
2: People have different diets, and their metabolism functions differently. So what might work for one doesn't work for another. Is that a correct assumption to make? Yeah, of course it does. Absolutely. We're
4: all fingerprints. Everybody's completely different. And so what works for, like you're saying, everybody is different. So.
2: I'd like to get into how you do the assessment at the very beginning with individuals, whether they're coming to you as individuals or whether they're coming to you as part of a corporation. It's also interesting to know that corporations are making such an investment in their employees and how employees from many parts of the world are responding to that. We'll be back with Martin Foster and Ruhi Hamlani from Fitness and Food here in Dubai in the Psychologist Chair. I'm Dr. Raymond Hamden.
1: Ever dreamed of seeing yourself or your child in a modeling ad, TV commercial, feature film, or a TV show? Do you think that you can't work as an actor or model because you are too old, not tall enough, or simply have no idea how to get started? Well, now you can learn the best way to get started and give yourself your best chance to succeed, no matter where you live. Tune in to Model Talk Radio, presented by Modelscouts.com. Each week, host Aaron Marcus, America's premier acting and modeling coach, will take you behind the scenes of the modeling and acting world. Join us Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Beautiful. Do you know what a brat is? No, we're not talking about that kind of brat. Brat stands for British Regimental Attached Traveler. It was adopted by American culture after World War II when American military began long-term assignments at U.S. military installations worldwide. Learn about the brat culture, the lost tribe, by tuning in to BratCon Radio with host Dennis Campbell and associate producer and co-host Jerry Glass. There are almost 8 million living brats, Hear from them and from guests who studied or examined them. Tune in Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel.
5: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: You are listening to In the Psychologist's Chair with Dr. Raymond Hamden. We'd love to hear from you via email at info at InThePsychologistChair.info. That email address again is info at InThePsychologistChair.info. Now, back to Dr. Raymond Hamden.
2: I'm Dr. Raymond Hamden. We're back in The Psychologist Chair with Martin Foster, Rohe Hamlani with Fitness and Food. Now, we talked about earlier about diet, and actual exercise An interesting statistics that employees perform up to 40% better when there are less health risks so what you're doing is these worksite wellness programs for your employees how is that being received by employees at various corporations because in the United Arab Emirates as well as other places in the Middle East you have 140 different nationalities who are living there and probably typical of most corporations up to around 80 different countries are represented in the workplace how are you juggling all those people around to get the right kind of balance for everybody how do you do an assessment in other words
3: well i think that's a a good starting point which levels the playing field because the assessments are the same for everybody no matter what nationality and they're very very basic um but i think that's what we feel makes a fundamental difference. We have uh, four basic measures that we do as, as we get in, um, body fat, blood pressure, resting heart rate, and waist to hip ratio. We also throw in lung capacity, but we'll, we can talk about that later. But those four measures are very good indicators of a basic level of overall health and to a certain degree fitness as well of the individual. And so that doesn't change from one culture to the next. And so it makes it very easy for us to go in and, and understand from one employee to the next where the health risks lie amongst those four measures. And raising that as, a, as an issue to the, the, the senior levels of, of management within, within organizations, it becomes very clear at what level of risk the organization is operating at because their employees are at risk. And no company, I mean, health care costs aside, no organization wants their employees to be at high risk of cardiovascular disease um, and that that being the most prevalent one that people face. So we have examples of senior leaders who have had to pick up the phone and call their employees' families saying, you know, he's, he's had a heart attack and that's purely been in in a number of cases as a result of lifestyle choices
2: and lifestyle choices also includes the psychology of that individual how they perceive the stress how they deal with the Correct. stress which of course holistically is part of the picture Martin, how do you do an assessment when you have a new person from a corporation or individually to determine where they are physically in which direction you need to take with some of the latest strategies in fitness well first of all there's the test that Rui we was just talking about uh, additionally of
4: course we do do a um, a health screen questionnaire, which gives us a fairly um, good background on what they've been doing, and finally, of course, if they're honest, um, then we can take the checks and get quite extensive with the checks because we've um, we're now capable of doing uh, something called a biological age test. Which what we can do is obviously you have the chrono- chronological age of the person, that's the number of years, but we we can now check their biological age to see exactly how they're aging because very rarely do the two actually go hand in hand so we can do an extensive number of tests which usually takes around about an hour um, which involves physical tests, um, the blood pressure tests, body fat and so forth and this can give us an an incredible accuracy rate Um, so again it just depends on each individual client, each each individual corporation how far they would like to go with their testing Um, with the biological age test just, just one for instance we can just give you a discrepancy, there was one person that was checked, which was 52 years of age, but their biological age was actually 69. So a huge discrepancy there. And then what we do then is sit down and talk to them and tell them how they can actually bring the biological age down to their chronological age, or in some cases even below it.
2: Taking an entire hour to do that doesn't mean that you're putting them on some kind of a metal machine. <laughs> that gives them a readout in about three minutes. No. It sounds like you go through an extensive process.
4: It is, yeah, then we feed everything into... The test's been around for a long while. I, I, it was initially done by um, uh, a BBC documentary program, and I thought, well, the testing's quite easy, so we can do that. It was just getting the software that can analyze it, because it's actually, the testing is actually backed up by the NHS at home. So once I'd found the software, it was just a case of simply sort of getting the testing And then feeding into the software and the software then comes out with the data
2: what about these plates that people can stand on and hold a metal bar it's a little robot and in about three minutes it can give you the weight the strength in each arm the strength in each leg how accurate is that information i personally i've never we have uh,
4: before uh, one type of testing which is similar-ish which is sort of um, purely testing your biological age with having attachments and electrodes either to the ear or to the little finger, and that proved to be not very accurate at all.
3: It, it works off um, heart rate variability, so it it monitors um, the pulse rate and checks for discrepancies within that to assess a level of fitness to it. But um, this test we're we're more confident with just because of what you alluded to, which is that it has a multiple um, number of of points, including triglycerides, cholesterol levels, it includes strength testing. So how, um, you're, for example, how long you're able to hold in a plank position um, to show that your, your core strength or how many sit-ups you can do in a, in a given period of time. And these are all standardized tests that then roll up and get compared against population norms and a, a huge database, which then spits out that number for biological age so we're, we're far more confident with that level of testing because it is multi-dimensional and covers multiple fitness measures
4: i, I can't sorry i can't sort of um, actually comment on, on the machine that you were talking about because i don't know anything about that particular machine but i imagine again just guessing but i imagine it's not that accurate
2: It may not be as accurate as the system that you use because you're using a system that's more direct investigation, which is certainly going to take longer and it will be more thorough, of course. When we're looking at these various kinds of exercises that you're doing, are they going to be determined from your assessment or is there a standard that you do for everybody that's the same? For instance, is it required that everybody has to be on the treadmill before they do weights? Is it required that they do power plates? Is it required that they do basic kinds of workout before they're able to actually go and do the the weightlifting and things like that? In other words, the cardiovascular, how important is that before you start exercising? There's so many variables really, um, because everybody, as we've already
4: mentioned, is different, and not only physically different, but that their goals and their likes and dislikes are also very, very different. So first of all, we have to read out of the testing. And then we have the person's particular goals that we have to take care of. Um, as again, we've already spoken of, most people seem to be obsessed with, with what they look like. And okay, if that's what they're there for, that's important. But I'm still going to try and get them to be as healthily as possible. So we have to sort of try and incorporate the two things if that's what, they, what their goals are. Um, a lot of people, particularly a lot of uh, females, are not overly um, keen on hitting the weights Uh, very heavy because of a lot of misconceptions uh, that have been printed over so many years. So we have to try and convince them that it's an extremely important form of exercise. Um, As you get over the age of 40, probably the most important form of exercise is some form of resistance training. So we have to make sure that that's incorporated in some way, not necessarily weights, but there are various ways of doing
2: it. So women who are working out with weights aren't going to become bulky men looking?
4: Your muscles can't grow from nothing. It's it's really, it's it's very easy. Your muscles can't grow from uh, f- from nothing. They have to be fed. And if you look at a female bodybuilder who, A, is genetically gifted to, to that type of sport in the first place, she's eating around six to 7,000 calories of quality food every day plus supplements to get the size that she is. Getting your regular sort of just everyday female into the gym with a, a, a regular eating regime and lifting weights, nothing is going to get her huge. What happens is that the muscle changes shape when it changes shape your clothes fit differently And so a lot of people think oh my god, I'm getting huge because my clothes are getting tight They're not actually getting tight It's just because the muscles are changing shape and the clothes are just fitting differently so these are the things we have to educate people to do and Hours spent on the treadmill. I mean if that's what you want to do. I mean that's that's okay but for me, it's fairly pointless exercise when there's so many other ways of
2: Getting the same goals and quicker Roy, out of 168 hours in the week, you see people how many times during that week?
3: Um, it just depends on the, the projects that we have running and the, the goals and objectives that have been set. But if, we, you know, if we're at a, a client site, then we'll be doing health testing once every three weeks if that's a program that we So you're not out. involved
2: with them weekly as Martin would be in the gym?
3: Um, from a nutritional standpoint, we will be with them for as long as they want us to be with How them. How
2: important is follow-up with some folks?
3: It's it's crucial because um, they, they won't get to their objectives without a little bit of help. And certainly in the beginning, that's when they find it the hardest. So follow-up on a regular basis at the start of a program is, is very, very important. It's huge, isn't it, really? It's mm-hmm. just
4: so important because people are so keen when they first start and they're, they're raring to go and then perhaps the results aren't as quickly as they would like. And then we just have to make sure that the sort of enthusiasm is kept there and we explain the reason to the things that are happening or not happening and why that's, that's, that's the case. It's so, so important.
2: Some people have the discipline to take what you teach them and utilize that strategy until the next time that you meet with them, which could be in two days or two weeks. Some people need you to be there with them every single time because they might not have the discipline to eat the right foods or do the right exercises what seems to be the key to getting people motivated to do this on their own or isn't is it even necessary to get people to do this on their own um,
4: I, again i had clients for, for 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 quite a number of years that um really prefer to do it with with someone else rather than doing it by themselves i mean i know i prefer to go to the gym and have a training partner um, it's just, you get, you're get you bouncing ideas, you're bouncing enthusiasm off someone else. Other um, people you can sort of teach within four or five weeks and that's all they want to do. So again, I think it's pretty much down to the individual and, and how receptive they are to ideas and what ideas they have when they first come into the gym.
2: What about your statistics? How many people need you to be always looking over their shoulder and what they have in their plate?
3: I don't have um, numbers to to back that up, but um, as Martin said, you know, it does depend on the individual and the level of discipline that they attach to what they're trying to do. Um, on a on a general level, though, what we're trying to do, especially with some new programs that we're we're having in place now, is to bring in the psychological aspect of setting yourself goals, visualizing success, and actually achieving the objectives that have been set up.
2: I'm Dr. Raymond Hamden. We're going to be back in just a moment.
1: Listen to the women's side of the fitness industry on Fitness Rx Radio with Adela Garcia and Sonia Gonzalez. If you're looking to stay healthy and look great or are getting ready to compete athletically, this is the show for you. We'll look at competitions from the inside out, bring you fitness tips, nutrition to keep you on top of your game, and so much more. We want to hear from you, too, and we'll take your questions by phone or email. Tune in to Fitness Rx Radio, airing every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. On the Voice America Variety Channel. Look and feel your best. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
5: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
1: You are listening to In the Psychologist's Chair with Dr. Raymond Hamden. We'd love to hear from you via email at info at info. That email address again is info at info. Now, back to Dr. Raymond Hamden.
2: I'm Dr. Raymond Hamden, the Psychologist Chair. We have Martin Foster and Ruhi Hamlani with fitness and food. So all of you who are listening want to know how to live better by working out and eating right, well, here's the right place to be. We're going to continue today's show with looking at the various kinds of presentations, workshops, that these two individuals have going with their holistic approach to fitness and food. That's quite a nice name, actually. It's very simple and it's very direct. It tells everybody what you actually do. Fitness and food. It wasn't my idea. I'm sure it was. It was very simple. No, it wasn't my idea. It wasn't your idea. I thought it would have been Well, Because it was simple. <laughs> that's not a psychological. <laughs> that's not a psychological indicator. <laughs> what would you have named it? Coming from Oxford University?
3: No, really, Dr. Hamden. I think um, you know if there's one thing that I learned in uh, my corporate career is keep it simple, stupid. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the kiss method, yeah. <laughs> exactly, um, and and hence fitness and food. I think the only uh, maybe misleading part is the food bit because we do get asked on a regular basis whether we will cater um, and and provide meals for people. Um, We might get into that in the future. I think it would be quite a good thing to do, given so, that people really struggle with what kind of food choices that they should be making.
4: Supplying meals is a big one, isn't it? People it is not it People are always sort of saying, can you supply meals for us all the time? Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Well, you know, and, and that's uh, one, one point to address about when you said what, what's wrong with the word diet. It's very temporary. It doesn't offer people uh, a way to see a change in their lifestyles for the for the long term, and that's really what we're looking to do. Is we're trying to convert people into a healthy way of living, not just through a diet or through a meal plan, which they will, and you know they will, eventually fall out of. So it's something that we want a more permanency with.
4: Sorry, diet. Diet's such an intimidating word, anyway, isn't it? As soon as you diet, so many people are put off.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the first half of that word is die. <laughs> so anyway, we'll go on with this segment. That's the spirit. Exactly. Now, when we're looking at the kind of fitness things that we're doing, we do see that there are cultural differences. Like, for instance, in the United States, there's a major problem with obesity. But yet in France, there seems to be less of that because there may be the lifestyle that people go out to get their meals for each time they're going to eat rather than packing the refrigerator up. Here in Dubai, where is it that you're working, you have 140 nationalities. Do you see the kind of differences in Americans that you would see in America or French that you would see in France or Russians, Chinese, or anybody else? Do they bring their cultural physique with them to the, uh, Dubai and the Middle East, wherever they're working? I think so, yeah. I, from my experience, they do. Um, I think sort of people have their culture.
4: Obviously, it's an ingrained thing whether they realize it or not. And so particularly from, um, Ruhi knows better than I do, but from a nutrition perspective, that when you're talking to people and say, well, perhaps we could just change a few little things about the way that you're sort of approaching your food, um, there's almost like a, a, a resistance to do it because they've been doing it forever. Um, but even though we can replace the, the foods with just a healthier versions of what they're doing. So it, it is quite difficult to get people to change the way that uh, they're approaching certain things and they do come with their own particular,
2: um, specific. When you were at Oxford, Rohi, what was the climate of the food intake there at that time? It wasn't, it wasn't too long ago.
3: Oh, gosh. Um, It's fresh in my mind, but it was in terms of number of years, a very long time ago. Was it? Um, Yes. At Oxford, it was traditional English fare, actually, for breakfast and lunch and dinner. So um, Baked uh, beans on uh, toast. Or or black pudding, even, for those people out there who know what that is. Um, I'm (laughs) just
2: trying to figure out what a plank is. (laughs) I think you're talking about a bridge, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's right.
3: No, there certainly wasn't an emphasis, and I think in in general, this is a problem as well for children who leave home and then all of a sudden are out there on their own to fend for themselves nutritionally. Um, There just aren't great choices out there. So similarly, when you're at that age, you think that you're invincible and can eat anything, anytime, anywhere. Uh, so, from from a nutritional perspective, you know, university is is probably not the best place to to start learning um, what the good things are versus the bad. But um, I I would like to place emphasis at a later stage when we when we move from uh, and diversify from corporate wellness into child, in children and teaching children at a very early age what's good and what's not so good because I'm sure from a, a psychologist perspective as well it's the same uh, concept as, as the word diet if you tell them they can't have something then they want it even more so it's, it's about lifestyle changing uh, emphasis and making sure that children know very early on in about a recent the choices.
2: Doc- yeah, Sorry, in a recent documentary there was actually that being projected a young chef says that the way to change the diet of the society is not to worry so much about the adults who have already gotten the bad habits. Mm-hmm. Go to the young kids in the schools right. and do cooking classes. Well, Jeremy Oliver did it in the UK, didn't That's he? Right. And he tries to do it in the States, but um, that was...
3: He um, met with a lot of resistance, but I think he's breaking through that now. Um,
2: has he gone yeah. back, has he? Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Well, one friend of mine who's a physician from New Zealand used to always jokingly tell me that you Americans have given the world two things, happy hour and breakfast cereal. Now, I'm not sure how to take that, but (laughs) I took it with laughter because I'm sure he meant it in a nice way, because we were joking about that. But unfortunately, there is a great influence from fast food products that are mostly associated with the United States. Is that a correct statement, that most fast foods are concerned with the United States environment and culture? From my
4: opinion, it certainly is, but I, I can't swear on, on how accurate that would be. I'm just going from my perspective.
2: How dangerous has that become for the rest of the world? Because it seemed like no matter which country do you go to, even if there was a cold war, they still have those fast food places.
3: Well, I think one of the fallouts is the the obesity obesity rates that are um, climbing across the world, um, and the and the UAE unfortunately ranks in the top twenty. Uh, of the world's populations that are overweight um, and obese. So it it is an unfortunate case of fast foods being responsible, uh, and that has been proven. So,
2: Even when the fast food industry tries to go on these eat-right products and they'll bring in certain products to serve or to sell, more likely. But but they've
4: still got all of the other stuff that's going on at the same time and people are already addicted to the... To the calorie-dense foods, I mean, it's no secret that some of us do like sort of unhealthy foods. They do taste nice, but you just have to put it into perspective and make sure that it's a treat rather than a regular occurrence.
2: When you put people on a particular program, fitness, nutrition primarily, what is it that you want them to do on a regular basis that sometimes it's okay if they have a day off and can... Maybe cheat a little? Would that be a correct statement?
4: It's cheating a little, but again, it's just cheating and there's just going berserk for the, for the one day. So what happens is you're completely undoing everything you've done on the previous six days, which certainly happens quite a lot, particularly uh, with clients that I've had um, fairly recently. Um, they work hard, they're following their, their, their exercise quite strictly, their eating regime's quite good, and then they'll go out on the Friday and it just falls apart.
2: Sometimes what we see is that people have this diabolic kind of thinking, all or nothing, and they're told you cannot have any ice cream, for instance. But if they should accidentally, whatever that means, have a one spoon of ice cream, they'll say, well, I've ruined my diet. Now I can just go out and have a whole gallon of ice cream. Now people actually can think like that, and that's some of the psychological research that's come out on the diet kind of a program, which I know is not the word that you like to use, but that's the term that was used for the research several decades ago and still seems to apply. So you have people who think like that. Do you put people on particular kinds of substitutes for workout, for nutritional intake, based on their particular personalities? A substitute. Yeah, for instance, people who are saying, well, okay, I, I ruined my diet. I had that one scoop of... Or one bite of ice cream, now I can go ahead and have a whole gallon because I ruined it with that one bite of ice cream. People have that illogical, irrational kind of thinking. Do you address that at all in your program, whether it's the physical workout or whether it's the food intake?
3: I think what we try to do is go in without being on um, a moral high ground of saying you can't have this and it's bad for you. And if you do this, then you're doomed our first-line approach is always, in, in my opinion, practical, a practical one. Um, so your example of you know, how, how do you tailor something to someone who's uh, maybe culturally not able or to, to get their heads around the concept of resistance exercise but only want to walk. Well, we, we have a solution to that. We, we have um, just put in place uh, at one of our client sites a STEPS program where we're trying to raise awareness for the fact that just moving more is beneficial rather than saying you need to go from from doing nothing to being in the gym five days a week. So what we'd like you to do is, with the help of a little gadget called a pedometer, is just measure your steps that you take every single day.
2: And And that's the step program. That's the step program. It's all easy.
3: Very simple. Um, and what people realize is that they might be taking 2,000 steps a day, which is the average for an office worker. But what we're trying to tell them is for your body to just get by, you need a minimum of 10,000 a day. And we're trying to work them up to that over time.
4: And that's not to sort of become a superhuman at 10,000 steps a day. That's really just, as Ruhi was saying, just to break even. But most people don't even get close to 10,000 steps a day. And so... Mm-hmm. Just educating people to do that is literally a, a big step, actually, a kind of cliche.
2: You haven't even mentioned counting calories. Is that still something that we do today, is count calories? No, not really.
3: No, it, it really isn't. Um, I think psychologically either a very healthy t- thing to do, to be monitoring your intake at that minuscule level. It's, it's quite daunting, and I think it puts a lot of people off.
2: We're with Ruhi Hamlani and Martin Foster, Fitness and Food, In the Psychologist's Chair, I'm Dr. Raymond Hamden. We'll be back in a moment with our last segment for the day's show. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry
5: App World, or Android Market. Surprise you. Voice America Variety Channel presents a program like no other for those in the field and interested in the field of security and training. On America's front lines of crime and war with Victory Defense Consulting, hosted by J.J. Sutton. Here, listeners are learning about tactical skills and practices that support efficient, smarter, and more enduring skills. You will receive the most up-to-date information about the security and training industry with detailed discussions and select special guests each week. Tune in to On America's Front Lines of Crime and War, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
1: Think you know everything there is to know about running a successful business? Think again. The truth is, you may only know the half of it. Don't worry, you are far from being alone. Many people think they can go with the half they do know, and the other half will just come naturally. When you are your own boss, on-the-job training comes at a price. Tune in to The Other Half of Business with hosts Davita Lewis and Adam Lyons, airing live every Saturday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. And find out how to get ahead with the other half of your business.
5: Stimulating
4: talk gets those synapses in the brain inspiring really fast.
5: All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
1: You are listening to In the Psychologist's Chair with Dr. Raymond Hamden. We'd love to hear from you via email at info at that email address again is info at in info. Now, back to Dr. Raymond Hamden.
2: Fitness and Food, the title of an organization that is managed by Ruhi Hamlani and Martin Foster. Originally started in Dubai, they're reaching out to the region, and that's important for those of us in the other parts of the world because this particular region houses... 140 different nationalities in this segment martin what is it that got you interested in fitness why fitness for you why not nuclear science or brain surgery or being a cup scout leader well if you knew me the answer would be fairly obvious really um <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, initially um i went to um i was not a student
2: that's i wanted to uh, draw comic books Hmm. Um, Any particular comic books you were interested in, or are you just going to create your own? Well, yeah, both,
4: really, because the, uh, the the ones that were already around and create new ones. And at school, I have to admit, I was, was very, very good. Um, got to art college, very, very average. So it was a huge shock, really, to sort of go there and think you were sort of God's gift, and then you found out you're really, really quite average. So that went out of the window. But when I was at school, I was also quite good at sports. Not particularly brilliant at anything, but quite good at most sports, Um, Then started doing martial arts, where I did tend to be fairly good at. I was a little bit on the light side, um, and just by accident one day walked into a gym. um, By mistake, didn't even know it was there. And then that was it, really. sort of um, Almost love at first sight. So I just need to take it to the next step forward, and that's how I got into fitness.
2: So you've been doing this for how many years now? Just over 25. And it's something that you plan to do for the rest of your life, if you can.
4: I hope so, because um, yeah, because particularly when I first started, there was certainly misconceptions that it was uh, you could only exercise up to a certain certain age, to a certain period. Whereas now we know that there's no limit to the age that you start or to the age that you finish, and so um, yeah, I want to carry on doing it for as long as I possibly can. Really, since working with Ruhi, it's sort of um, I think it's taken it from a two-dimensional sort of um, project where it was quite good before to now sort of teaming up and getting the nutrition and the professionalism with it to, um, I think, a a very good uh, project.
2: Since graduating from Nottingham University, earning a bachelor's degree in science, in sports science, that was 1988. You've functioned as sports manager. You've worked for individual private family. And now you're doing work with Ruhi in this amazing organization that you two have put together. And I'm sure it's taken a little bit of time to get people used to it, but you have worked with some pretty big companies from around the world. Is this where you want to be the rest of your life? Is this where you see yourself in five years from now? It's partially where I'd like to be. I think what we're, what
4: what we're trying to do right now is very, very exciting, particularly um, over here. Uh, just trying to spread the the, the word, really. But there are so many different sort of um, aspects of fitness and nutrition that we can go down that it seems the wrong thing to do to to stick to one particular um, part of that sort of scenario. But right now, it's a very, very exciting uh, part of
2: what we do. For you personally, though, for you personally, what do you get out of staying fit? What does it mean for you? Just testing myself. Um, it was obviously, the,
4: the, the vanity thing comes into it, which I think most people tend to, to um, take into account. Obviously everybody likes to look as best as they can. But the other thing is, oh, it's just a, a, I'm fairly competitive, and I like testing myself. And I don't want, I don't like the idea of letting things fall away. I always like to sort of see if I can get as as good or as better than I used to do before, and and. With fitness now there are so many different ways of exercising, so many different ways of putting a routine, routine together which we've never had before and it's really really exciting and so you look forward to going into the gym just to try something new, it's really really good. See, this week I've just found something else out which is, is just incredibly exciting for core workouts and you're just saying I just can't wait to go and try it out. The enthusiasm just hasn't left, in fact if anything it's just getting greater as, as the more I've been doing it.
2: Ruha, you've spent a lot of your time here in the Middle East, a Pakistani family, but you were raised mostly in Dubai, educated in England, particularly at Oxford. What does fitness and nutrition mean for you?
3: Um, well, for me, it, uh, it it didn't start until I came back from university. And um, as I mentioned before, university is a time where you, you sort of let go and, and let your hair down and do all the things that you're not supposed to do. <laughs> And come back and possibly regret. That's um, nice of
2: you to think that I used to have hair. <laughs> I don't even remember that year.
3: <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> but um, I, I came back and, and started working and quickly realized that I really needed a balance in my life. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why we're taking it to the corporate environment, because there's it's, it's so easy, especially in this part of the world, to work long hours and throw yourself into your career uh, at the detriment of your physical health, which has a knock-on on your mental health, in, in my opinion.
2: Has obesity ever been a problem for you or members
3: of your family? Um, for me, well, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't consider um, having ever been obese, but I felt in my own head that I was not my optimal weight, nor my optimal level of fitness which is the reason why I got into it, um, having come back from university. And that's when I started working out and that's when I met Martin because um, Johnson & Johnson, where I worked, hired Martin to come in and um, and train us on the exercise uh, piece, primarily. And uh, that's when I really started to get into it and that's when I started to realize that you can only get stronger. And that's, for me, What I get out of exercise and and eating healthily is the feeling of power and being in control and being strong and being more confident. And I'd like to think that that's what we're offering people is a chance to see that and to feel it and to perform better both professionally and personally.
2: It's good for both of you to be from a generation where you can actually get a degree in the things that you love to do. Sports, fine arts, all different kinds of recreation, the generation before you, and even earlier than that, thought that you weren 't really getting a university degree if it wasn 't law, medicine, engineering, or, or something like that but today it 's become a science, both your fields, sports, medicine, as well as nutrition has both become a pure science and it 's actually a science that is registered now. Your background is sports science. That's what your bachelor's degree is. But your educational background at Oxford was in...
3: Was biochemistry. Um, and so a very, very heavy in terms of um, expectation of, of going into a laboratory and, and spending endless hours researching. Um, but uh, I, I quickly realized that I didn't want to, to do that. I, I, I would have... Uh, preferred to be in a in a people facing uh, role and which is why I decided to to leave that behind um, but take the, the great aspects of the experiences that you have at university
2: how much of that do you use today very quickly uh,
3: well I like to think that um, the scientific approach to thinking and applying that in in everyday life is um, very much a valuable asset
2: Martin if we want to get in hold of you to at first Fitness and Food, what would be the contact address? Just go onto the website, which is fitnessandfood.ae. .ae, AE standing for United Arab Emirates. So www.fitnessandfood, one word, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: .ae. Correct. Correct. Martin Foster, Ruhi Hamlani, thank you very much for being with us in the psychologist chair. We've learned quite a bit about the new uptake of interest that you're bringing to the Middle East and the 140 nationalities that are represented here from coast to coast. Have a great day. We'll look forward to seeing you again in the psychologist's chair. Good day, everyone. I'm Dr. Raymond Hamden. See you at the next show.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week for In the Psychologist's Chair. Please join Dr. Raymond Hamden for another edition next Tuesday at 9 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we speak again, hope you enjoy your week.